Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, your words are light and life. I ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts today, that you would minister to us, that you would speak to us and nourish us so that our hearts might be formed more into the likeness of your heart, that we would love what you love and do what you do, Lord Christ. So now speak to us afresh. It's in your name and for your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, So our family enjoys musicals. Um, One of the musicals that we really like is Les Mis. Uh, Do we have any Les Mis fans in here? Okay, good. Man, you guys, don't tell First Service this, but you guys are way better than First Service because they, uh, not a lot of hands went up and as soon as I said musicals, someone laughed and and it just threw off the whole service. So anyway, um, we, we love the story of Les Mis um, and I, you know I'm joking. Um, we do love the story of Les Mis and in the beginning of this miracle, or miracle, in the musical, um, musical, musical, I am... Let's start over again. I'm Pastor Rick. Thank you for being here today. Um, in, the, in the beginning of Les Mis, uh, it, it, it starts with this story of Jean Valjean, uh, who's a criminal. He's in prison and he escapes. And as he's fleeing the prison guards, he's looking for refuge, looking for a place to go. And finally, he, he comes across the home of a bishop. And the bishop, Bishop Mariel, uh, which is a restaurant in St. Paul named after Bishop Mariel, um, there's, uh, 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 he comes to Bishop Mariel's home, and, and the bishop lets him into his home and says, yes, you can take refuge here tonight. And Jean Valjean, he makes a terrible decision. In the middle of the night, he wakes up, he, he grabs a bag, and he starts piling into his bag silver from the bishop's home. And then he decides to hit the streets and to break, you know, make a break for it, uh, make a run for it. Well, the prison guards are waiting, like right there. And so they see him come out and they say, you look just like that prisoner. And they, and they, they open his bag and they see the silver in there and they start yelling at him and saying, you've, you've ruined it. You've stolen the silver from the, you know, from the bishop or whatever. And Bishop Mariel hears what's going on. He steps outside and, he, and he's kind of confused at first. He kind of assesses what's going on here, and he realizes what's going on. And, and the, the police are like, is this the man? Is, is this, has this man stolen from you? And he says, and Bishop Mariel pauses, and he says, no, this is, this is my friend. In fact, uh, you forgot something. And so then he goes back into his home. He takes these two silver candlesticks, and he goes back, and he puts them in the bag of Jean Valjean, and says, dear friend, you've forgotten this. May you be blessed on your journey. So he has this extreme act of forgiveness, this, this abundant act of forgiveness that happens. And Jean Valjean, I mean, he, he almost loses it over this because he knew that at that moment, he, he could have had his life utterly changed. He could have gone back to prison, but instead he was freed. And not just freed, but, but blessed as he was sent out. And so that transforms his, his life and his pursuits from that point on. And he decides that he's no longer going to be someone who's defined by, by crime, but instead he wants to pursue noble things. And all of that happens just at the beginning of, of Les Mis. I encourage you, if you haven't seen it, watch it sometime this week. You'll be very blessed by it. Um, and, and that's obviously a fictional story, right? But whenever we hear these extreme events of forgiveness, like whenever they hit the headlines, it just strikes all of us speechless, right? Like, be it uh, an act of forgiveness that happens in the wake of a, a tremendous, you know, crime of racial injustice or, or some sort of mass shooting or something. Um, you know, these kinds of events show us 
that, that there's something more significant or, or more real or more powerful in this world. It, it opens our hearts to see something that is beyond just what, what meets the eye in, in this world. We see that forgiveness has the power to completely transform a life. So in today's gospel reading, Peter comes up to Jesus and says, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And I always kind of expect there to be another verse that's added like, and then Peter's brother Andrew spoke up and said, I'm offended by that question. (laughs) Um, But Andrew doesn't say that here. (laughs) Um, uh, But Jesus replies and he says, not just seven times, but 77 times. And the point isn't that, that Peter needs to invest in a better calculator so he can count these things more accurately. No, the, the point is that it, it should be, uh, you should forgive someone until there is a completeness to it. The number seven is a number of completeness. And it's, it's the, it, it should be to the point in which that person is healed by your forgiveness and that that relationship is restored. There's an idea of, of wholeness that's supposed to come as a result of this forgiveness. So forgive one another until there's healing, Jesus is saying. He's also saying that we as Christians ought to always be ready to forgive. You know, I mentioned last week that I, I, I feel like as we go into this next season, we as Restoration need to return to some of the, the core elements of the faith. You know, last week we talked about the Christian definition of love and how that's different than the world. Well, today we're going to be looking at forgiveness, which what greater Christian value is there than that of forgiveness. So in the Bible, forgiveness is is often described, as it is in today's passage, it's often described in transactional terms. But don't don't be fooled. Don't think that that means that it's devoid of any sort of relational uh, element to it. But it's described here in transactional terms. It's a matter of an exchange of value that happens, right? So, for example, when you take out a loan from the bank uh, in order to pay off college or a car or or your house or, you know, whatever, you take value from the bank. And if you don't return that value, well, then there's trouble that ensues from that, right? Like, you can be taken to court over these things. Now, obviously, you have permission to take that from the bank, but you have to eventually pay it off. Well, when someone sins against you, it's similar, Something is taken from you when someone sins against you. Only in this instance, they don't have your permission to take this from you. They're taking something from you without your permission, and it's a crime. The Bible calls this sin. And so maybe someone took something that you tangibly owned, like your wallet or something, and so you have to decide in that moment, am I going to forgive them this debt? Or maybe uh, a colleague Uh, You shared something with them in confidence, and then they go and they blab that to your boss. And as a result of that, as a result of that sin or that trespass, something is taken from you. It's your respect among your colleagues, and perhaps it's even the opportunity for some kind of promotion, something stolen from you. Or if someone physically wounds you or crosses a boundary without your permission, something is stolen from you. It might be your own physical health, or it might be your dignity as a human being. When someone sins against you, something is owed to you. There is a debt that's taken out. Be that dignity or property or something else. It sets you back, right, when someone sins against you. That's why you have this feeling of of injustice when someone sins against you. Well, Jesus then shares a parable to kind of unpack what he's saying to Peter. 
And I think he wants, well, he, he says this at the end of his passage, he says that this is for all of us. And so may it, I think it's obvious, but let me be clear. This is something that applies to me, to all of you. This is something that needs to be the hallmark of our lives as Christian brothers and sisters. None of us can escape the obligation, the duty, the joy to forgive others. And so I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey today. If you're investigating Christianity perhaps for the first time, or if you've considered yourself a a professional Christian your entire life, this is for you. Forgiveness is for all of us. And I'm sure that even by this point, there might be names or faces or people who are coming to mind who have some sort of debt that they owe you, right? Someone who you need to forgive. And Jesus wants us to know that forgiveness is absolutely at the center of the Christian life. It moves you, forgiveness moves you from simply observing God from a distance to stepping into the life of God and experiencing God. You may have heard me say before that, you know, kind of to put forgiveness in terms of the Marvel universe, Uh, Forgiveness is the Christian superpower. Or to put it in terms of Narnia, forgiveness is that deeper magic that we have access to. Or to put it in terms of the Bible, forgiveness is participation in the life of God. It's participation in the life of God. So let's, we're going to go through this parable fairly quickly. It's it's pretty straightforward. Uh, And then we'll draw some, some lessons from this. So we've got a couple of characters in this. The king, who represents God, the servant, who represents you and and me, uh, and then the lesser servants, who represent those who we are in relationship in our lives, right? So I see kind of three scenes in this. So first we have the king, and he wants to settle his accounts. And I think that's important to notice here, because the king wants stability in his kingdom. He doesn't want there to be this awkward tension that exists among the, the citizens of his kingdom of, hey, that person owes me something. Are they going to pay that back to me? No, it's in the nature of the king to seek peace and stability in his kingdom. He wants all these debts resolved. And so he calls in his servants, and eventually he calls in one servant who owes him, get this, 10,000 talents. Do you know how much money that is? That's a lot of money. It's really ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's an absurd amount. For anyone who is listening to this in the original time, they would have been like, oh, come on, Jesus. No one owes anyone 10,000 talents, right? One talent is the equivalent of 20 years worth of your salary, 20 years worth of your, your work. So 10,000 talents? Like, give me a break. Who owes that much? I mean, some people try to do the math, and like, it's, it's kind of like $10 billion. Okay, like... What would you do to possibly create a debt of 10 billion? Did I say 1,000 before? I meant billion. How would you create a debt of $10 billion? I don't know. Like, did, did this servant, like, steal the king's fleet of rockets and decide to, like, go to town and sort of left them abandoned on Mars or something? Like, what would you do to rack up a debt of $10 billion? But that's not even the most shocking thing about this passage. The shocking thing is that the king is like, $10 billion, huh? Don't worry about it. I'm just going to let it go. Like, is that what kings do? If someone decided to completely blow up everything related to Tesla, do you think Elon Musk would be like, it's, it's fine, I'll just, 
make another, you know, Tesla empire or whatever. Like, that's not what happens. That's not how kings act. So the fact that he, he forgives all of this, we're supposed to hear this and be like, this is pretty ridiculous, right? Because not only is the king incredibly wealthy, but he's also completely, incredibly unpredictable. He forgave $10 billion worth of debt. So that's, that's kind of the first thing that happens here. Secondly, what do we see? Well, this same servant, he breathes this, this sigh of relief, and he says, you know what, I, I want to settle my debts too. And so he goes out, and he starts settling his debts, and he comes across someone who owes him 10,000, or not 10,000, 100 denarii. Now, that's, that's not an insignificant amount of money. One denarii is, is one day's worth of wages. So you might remember like the parable of, uh, well, never mind, well, I won't extend this anymore. Okay, so one day's worth of wages. And so here we're not talking billions of dollars. We're kind of talking uh, thousands of dollars. So 100 denarii, you know, 100 days worth of work. So about a, a third of an annual salary. So it's like if someone owed me that much money, like I'd want to put some pressure on them and try to get that money back, you know, so that I could buy, you know, maybe a car, add on to my house or, you know, do something that, that Rick wants to do. Um, so this guy, he goes out and he demands full payment from this lesser servant for the 100 denarii. The lesser servant pleads forgiveness, and this servant, the main servant, he decides to instead throw him into debtor's prison. Well, the third scene, the king finds out, and he calls this servant in. He says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all of that debt because you pleaded with me. And now someone comes and pleads with you, and, and you don't have mercy on them? He's like, what's wrong with you? And so then he throws that main servant into prison. He sends him off. Now, given the insane value of debt that this main servant owed, the implication here is that this servant will never, in all of eternity, ever pay off this ridiculous amount of debt. And it's just. That's... that's those are the rules of the game here. So what can we learn from this? What can we pull from this? Well, a couple of things. One is the reality of that spiritual debt that all of us carry. All of us are that master. All of us, the, the, less, the main servant, I mean. All of us carry this debt of $10 billion to the king, you could say. And some people, when they talk about these, this kind of spiritual debt, which the Bible calls sin, some people will describe sin as simply some kind of bad habit. You know, oh, they just do this because that's just kind of their way, but whatever. You know, or sometimes it'll be described in terms of a, a lack of um, education or some kind of ignorance that the person has. Or sometimes it's a character flaw or some kind of illness or a sickness that someone has. But what Jesus says is that our sin is a debt against God himself, that it's a crime. So that in, sa in the same way that you feel unjust and you feel like someone's um, trespass against you, when someone sins against you, so too, this is, uh, our, our relationship with God also is broken. Just as you feel like someone owes you something, we owe God something. So the cost or the value of the weight of that debt against a holy and righteous and beautiful and good God, the debt that we have to pay is so large in sinning against a God like ours means that we are not capable of paying it back. We are sinful creatures. We are broken creatures. What could we possibly give? What value do we possibly have that could square all of this, that could make all of this right? We have a spiritual debt that is massive. But paired with this is the reality of God's mercy. 
the beauty of God's mercy, the abundance of his mercy, that through his son, Jesus Christ, he has paid the debt for us. At the cross, all the wages of sin and death have been paid in full, completely. It's done away with. It's, it's been dealt with. The cost has been paid. You see, God desires peace with us. He wants stability amongst his people so badly that he's willing to pay the price himself. He loves you so much that he wants to pay the price himself. He knows it's a huge price. Well, he'll pay it anyway because we as sinners are, are hopeless in doing so. But because he is holy and he is good and he is all loving, he is completely capable of paying the price. And he does because he doesn't want our lives to be defined by, by the crimes that we've committed. He doesn't want our, our lives to be weighed down by the chain of sin and guilt and, 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 and sin. He wants us to walk in perfect freedom of those things. He wants us to know the beauty and the goodness of walking in his love and in his life. So the first thing that we can draw from this parable is that God forgives sinners, that he redeems us, that he rescues us. Praise the Lord. So what else can we draw from this? Well, you have access to the storehouses of God. You have access through Jesus Christ to the treasure house of the king. He's given us the keys. We can draw from this ourselves. We have access to this. This is where the rubber hits the road. The, the riches of God, the great storehouses of his grace, the abundance of his mercy. We have access to that. I did something uh, last week that some people might consider to be a little foolish. I gave my 15-year-old uh, daughter a credit card. Great. And her eyes got really big. Why wouldn't you want to do this? Her eyes got really big, and she started trembling with excitement about the possibility of purchase that she now had. And, and um, this is where the, the connection breaks down, because I had to tell her that uh, it only had a $100 limit, you know, cool, um, but it's not the storehouses of heaven that we have access to, right? We have access to so much more. <laughs> In Christ, we have access to these, this treasure of God's grace. And so what we can do from that is we ourselves can make a withdrawal. And we have the freedom to forgive others in our lives. In the same way in which we've experienced the blessing of God, we now get to reflect that. We get to behave like the king, not on behalf of our own merit, but on behalf of the merit that Jesus gives us through the cross. So friends, you have the power to forgive. And this is the cool thing. Forgiveness disarms sin in our lives. It removes sin from our relationships from our own hearts. It means that the chains get removed, that by the power of forgiveness, we can, we can dislodge sin. We can dislocate it. We can hurl it away. It doesn't have to define our relationships anymore. That sin, that, that trespass, that, that betrayal, that bitterness, that, that mean-spiritedness doesn't have control over you anymore. So what individuals in your life have that at the moment? Who do you go to, who, who, not who, who, do you, who do you think about as you sort of ruminate on when, when all things are quiet? Who are those people in your, in your lives who've sinned against you, who, who you just feel this bitterness against? Forgiveness allows you to, to release that power because by the power of the cross, you no longer have to wish bad things for those people. By the power of the cross, you're able to see them in the same way in which God sees them. 
and that completely reframes your relationship with them. You begin to see them with pity and with sorrow and compassion. You begin to ask questions like, I wonder what was going on in their life when they did that against me. I wonder what had control over them. I wonder what they were afraid of in that moment that caused them to act out in that sort of way. I wonder what sort of sin had, had, had clutched their heart and, and gained control over them that caused them to act out in this sort of way. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that that means that your relationship is going to go exactly the way that it was. Right? There are still also consequences to these things, and you need to have safe boundaries with people. But in prayer, how can you love them? In prayer, how can you bless them? In prayer, how can you forgive them? Because when you do that, when you're able to do that, who knows what gets unlocked in the spiritual realm? In your own heart, what sort of freedom you're able to walk in now that they don't have control over you anymore? I had a life-changing conversation this week. I was, many of you know that we're uh, transferring dioceses, and so I have to have all these kinds of conversations uh, with other people to, to make sure that I'm not a weirdo or, or that our church isn't a weirdo or whatever. Um, and I had this beautiful conversation with a, a trusted person in our, in our denomination, and, and he wanted to, to do some prying in my heart, and I, and I shared some things with him about people who've hurt me in the past, and he asked me, well, have you, have you forgiven them? And I'm like, well, yeah, sure, I, I guess so. But then as I describe it, he's like, well, it, it sounds like there's still some resentment in there. I'm like, well, yeah, I don't, I don't think they should have done that. <laughs> and he's, all right, you guys are obviously wiser than I am, so <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, this is why we need each other. And uh, it, it, he was just like, what do, you, what do you think was going on in their life when that happened? And got me to see things from their perspective. And he was like, did Satan have a stronghold in their life when that happened? You got to see, it helped me to see things from a position of, of true pity and sorrow. And so what does it look like in our lives, brothers and sisters, to truly forgive those who've trespassed against us, to pray for actual blessing for these people? What does it look like to wash their feet in prayer, to ask for the Lord Jesus to reveal himself to that person so that they also can be transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus himself? Because in doing so, in, in pursuing these kinds of things, our hearts are becoming more aligned to the Father's heart. Praise the Lord. So there's a third reality to this, and that is the reality of judgment. And Jesus is really clear about this. He, he wants to make sure that as he wraps all of this up with his parable, that he's crystal clear about this. You know, I think we, we can, if, if we have godly imaginations, we can see the beauty that can come from forgiveness and the freedom that can come from that. But he also gives us a negative motivation. He says that judgment, all of us are in danger of judgment if we do not behave like our Father in heaven. To refuse to forgive others puts our souls in danger. Jesus says, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, I hear that, and I, and I hear him say, if you do not forgive your brother, and I'm like, I wish there was a period there, right? Because it's like, sure, on paper, yeah, I, I forgive you, whatever. But he says, in your heart. And that causes me to tremble. Because, my goodness, it is, it is one thing to, to externally forgive someone, but then in my heart, what does that look like? 
And I think that's why Jesus says seven times 70. He wants us to continue daily to, to pick up our cross, to pick up that, that duty, that, that Christian duty of forgiveness so that we can keep ongoing forgiving those who've trespassed against us. Because brothers and sisters, that standard in which we hold others to is the standard that God will hold us to. So here at Restoration, we come here into, into this space, into this house of worship, so that we can receive grace from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives that to us in multiple ways. One way is through the ministry of the word. We hear the word read to us, and, and we receive the grace of that, and our, and our minds are transformed, and we hear about the wisdom and the love and the promises of God. But another way in which we experience God's grace is at the ministry of the table. It, at the table, the Lord feeds our hearts. He nourishes our hearts. He has promised to be present with us in the breaking of the bread. In the breaking of the bread, he makes himself known to his people. And so he ministers to us with spiritual food, as our tradition has said. And so if you're able to cognitively think about forgiveness, but in your heart, it's hard to, to, to consider that. It's hard for you to be engaged in it in your heart. Come to Jesus and hold out your hands not to me or the other people who are serving elements, but it's Jesus who's feeding you in this moment with his own presence, with tokens of grace you're being fed so that your hearts can be transformed, spiritually speaking, mystically speaking, sacramentally speaking, into, into the likeness of Jesus Christ himself. So if, you hear, if you're like me and you hear passages like this and you're like, how can I forgive from my heart? Come to Jesus. Receive from Jesus. Be fed by Jesus. Be nourished by him. And together, may we all be built up by the ministry of his grace, receiving grace through his word and grace at his table. May we all be together built up for the work of forgiveness. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for forgiving us our sins, Lord. That when we rebelled against you and broke that relationship with you, you came down. And you paid a price, Lord, that we ourselves never could have even come close to paying. Thank you, Lord, for opening up the way for us to enter into a right relationship with you. May we be worthy of the name Christian. Lord, we, those who've been washed in by your blood, Lord, who've been received into your household, may we act like your children, Lord Christ. May you help us to forgive one another, those of us here in this room, but also, Lord, beyond these walls. May we be people who are marked by forgiveness so that, Lord, we may experience the power of the cross in every single relationship that we have. Because, Jesus, we want to become more like you. We want to enjoy you. We want to be with you. We want to love you more fully. So, Lord, may you give us your heart for forgiveness. We ask all of this, Christ, in your beautiful and holy name. Amen.